Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Our mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, this is Jordan Rich, pleased to announce the 2021 Massachusetts Virtual Prostate Cancer Coalition Symposium. It happens on Friday, May 14th, and information and registration can be found at masspcc.org. In our current series of podcasts, I'll be talking with some of the top flight presenters at the symposium. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Adam Feldman, urologist at Massachusetts General Hospital's Department of Urology. He specializes in the treatment of cancer and related research. His discussion at the symposium is entitled Prostate Cancer Detection, Past, Present, and Future. I'll start with this. Is your message at the symposium going to be a positive one? Oh, absolutely. It's an upbeat message. I think, I think the most important message to people is, you know, one of the most important messages is, you know, there's been a lot of questions and controversy about uh, prostate cancer screening and prostate cancer detection over the past several years. Uh, people may have had discussions with their primary care doctors about uh, getting a, a PSA test, which is a blood test that stands for prostate-specific antigen. And it's the, um, really the, the way that we've been screening for prostate cancer um, you know, over the past 20, you know, 25, over 25 years now. It was first really developed in 19, or started to be used in 1992. And so um, and one of the reasons that there's been controversy is because it's uh, been somewhat difficult to, to actually prove that it, uh, you know, helps prevent um, uh, uh, death from prostate cancer. And, you know, that's what the goal of any screening test. But um, and so the message, you know, we can get into some of the details of, you know, sort of why it's been controversial in a bit. But uh, the real message is that uh, prostate cancer screening um, and, and that's largely still using PSA, and we'll get into some of the details about that, but, but um, it really does help um, uh, prevent some of the uh, difficulties from prostate cancer, uh, helps to uh, uh, certainly help, can help prevent um, ultimately um, you know, death from prostate cancers, which is what we, we, we certainly don't want. Prostate cancer is the most common uh, non-skin cancer in men. Um, in 2020, there's over 191,000 cases, you know, in the United States, it's the second most common cause of cancer death in men with uh, over 33,000 deaths in, in, you know, in, in 2020. And so um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disease that we certainly want to detect early. And, and that's the goal with screening. What's the future of screening? Cause I know you'll be talking about past, present and future, but is there anything that's novel that we haven't yet heard about in, in the general conversation, or, is, or are we just going to expand upon current uh, methods? Well, there, over the past several years, there have been, there have been a lot of um, new, what we call biomarkers. Uh, a biomarker is a test which you know, indicates uh, whether or not a disease is present or risk of a disease. So you know, the most common biomarker that people might think about is your cholesterol. So your cholesterol level is, you know, as a way to say, you know, are you at risk for having heart disease? And, and, and so that's, that's, that's a very simple example. Um, so PSA, that blood test that I talked about mm-hmm. is a biomarker. And there are a number of different um, sort of variations on PSA to make it um, more specific for prostate cancer. 
and then you know there are some other newer tests, some urine-based tests, uh, and uh, and also some blood-based tests that you know that that people have developed to try to not only make it better at detecting prostate cancer, but to try to make it more accurate at detecting prostate cancer, which will actually be harmful to people. There, there are some types of prostate cancer which may never affect people. And, and those aren't necessarily the ones that we wanna find. Um, but, but, you know, what I'm gonna talk about at the, you know, at, the, uh, at the meeting is really what are those tests? It can be confusing for people. I have patients come in and they say, I've heard about this one, I've heard about that one. And you know which one should I use? Should I should I you know use these tests? You know, and then there we're we're also using MRI, and um, you know so we'll talk about that. And actually, uh, one of the keynote speakers at the conference, uh, Caroline Moore, who's excellent. She's from um, she's from London. She's done an enormous amount of research in MRI uh, in the detection of prostate cancer. That will be an outstanding talk as well. So. Uh, you know, we'll go through some of those newer biomarkers. We'll talk a little bit about sort of what's, you know, what's been used, what's what's worth using, what's not worth using, and uh, uh, and you know maybe some also what might be what might lie ahead. Yeah, there are a lot of questions. I, I'm just curious if any other areas of oncology have as many biomarkers that are being looked into. It seems that prostate cancer is leading the way in a lot of these cases. So it's interesting that you mention other cancers. So PSA, the test I'd mentioned, which is really the sort of the original blood test for prostate cancer, while it, there are some inaccuracies at detecting prostate cancer initially, after treatment, it's the best test really in any cancer for looking for recurrence of disease. So for example, after the prostate's been removed, um, we expect someone's PSA to go down to um, an undetectable level. It should be you know, less than 0.1. You know, of course, if you get to very, very, very minute levels, you can get some background noise, but, um, but we expect it to become you know, what we would consider undetectable. And after radiation, we expect it to get down to a very low level and stay that low. And any increase after that, is really the best. Um, it's very sensitive and very good at detecting recurrent disease if unfortunately patients are found to have that. Um, and that's better than any other you know, disease which usually relies on um, you know, scans, CAT scans and MRIs and other you know, types of imaging. How important is the clinical database in this area? Because obviously information is power. I know that's one of the things that you've been involved with, you and your colleagues, erecting such a database, but how critical is that? Well, it's important. I mean, you know, we have developed a, a large database of uh, men with prostate cancer. We've you know, published independently on that. And then also the other thing that it allows you to do when you have these clinical databases that are you know, your own patients at your own institution is then you, you know, can combine them with other institutions from around the country and, and other countries and, you know, do larger studies with more patients. Uh, other types of clinical databases that are available are some publicly available databases like the, what's called the National Cancer Database and uh, SEER Medicare. And, you know, there are some publicly available database, which gives you the power of numbers, but sometimes with large data sets, there can be some granular data that are, that are missing. Uh, and, and, and so it can sometimes make it difficult to, to fine tune the questions. 
so our institutional databases can can help with that because we can fill in the gaps often. Dr. Feldman, uh, prostate cancer being so prevalent in men in terms of the numbers of cancers that people have, would it be a, a good idea for men of a certain age to uh, have some kind of relationship with a urologist beyond their regular uh, MD? Or is it just when the MD suspects something might be up? I mean, I've known a lot of people who have never been to a urologist and then they start going because they have a problem. I mean, I think it's definitely a good idea to have the discussion about screening for prostate cancer with your primary care doctor. Um, and typically we say at the age of, you know, starting to think about that at the age of 45, if you have a family history of prostate cancer in a first degree relative, so a brother or a father, uh, or, or even, you know, even, even, you know, a, a, a sibling of your parent is reasonable, mm-hmm. um, uh, that you should, you know, think about even getting, uh, having that discussion at the age of 40, um, you know, certainly PSA and, a and a prostate exam or what we call a digital rectal exam or DRE, um, you know, that, that it's designed, those are designed to be able to do by a primary care doctor. So right. um, some primary care doctors, for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable doing it, or, you know, may say, oh, we don't check PSA. And I would encourage patients to, you know, to say if they're, if they want to be screened, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly their, their right. And, and they can ask their primary care doctor. And if they wanted to see a urologist to have that discussion, they absolutely can. Mm-hmm. The other very important thing for patients to know is that the family history questions have changed. Uh, they've expanded. And that's because some of the genes that we know about in other cancers, and we've learned a lot over the past, really just few years, have learned a lot more about the genes that are involved in prostate cancer and, um, and not just in prostate cancer, but other genes. So for example, uh, the breast cancer associated genes, those are also associated with prostate cancer. So, you know, we, we, my, and, and then some other, uh, some other genes that are associated with, um, colon cancer and, um, and melanoma and pancreatic cancer. So my now family history has expanded to just, instead of just saying, do you have a family history of prostate cancer? I say, do you have a family history of breast, ovarian uterine cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, melanoma. These are all important questions. And, um, and we don't recommend that everyone get genetic testing, but um, you know, certainly for, for men who have higher risk prostate cancer and certainly metastatic prostate cancer, we do recommend genetic testing. Because of your specialty, I, I have a question that I've always wondered about, and that is any linkage that we know about between kidney, bladder, and prostate cancers it's interesting. Um, aside from linkage through the urologist, there's not as much linkage through with bladder cancer and kidney cancer and prostate cancer. There is one specific type of syndrome called Lynch syndrome, which potentially can have a higher risk for prostate cancer, but also has a higher risk of uh, what's called urothelial cancer, or it's cancer of the what's called the renal pelvis or the part of the kidney that collects the urine and then also the ureter. So, and maybe association, urothelial cancer is also what is, is the most common type of bladder cancer. So it's not a very strong, it's not as strong a correlation as some others, but certainly something we pay attention to. 
I, I do want to follow up on one more thing because we, we started this discussion, uh, me asking you what the future held, any groundbreaking developments, but uh, the genome study seems to be what everybody's buzzing about and has been for the last several years. Is it likely that the more we know about the genetics of an individual and a family, the more we'll have a beat on how to treat it? Yeah, I think that you know certainly there are certain mutations in cancers that can affect how we uh, treat those cancers. So, for, and, and we're using that now more in metastatic prostate cancer or prostate cancer that has spread um, to try to uh, some of the medical oncologists that, you know, that I work with, and I know there'll be probably a few medical oncologists speaking at the meeting. Uh, and there are some decisions that are made based on the genomic profile of cancers of, of prostate cancer as well. And so, but that's, and it doesn't commonly affect how we treat local disease, meaning cancer that hasn't spread yet, but it may in the future, certainly may, uh, but it does change how we, how we screen patients right. and how aggressive we are. So it's interesting, prostate cancer, because of the potential side effects of, of treatment, you know, for example, somebody who has a woman who has, you know, the, the breast cancer associated genes can make a decision of whether or not to have a prophylactic um, mastectomy or you know, breast removal, taking out the prostate prophylactically has consequences for men in terms of sexual function and, and, um, and you know, potential risk for incontinence. And it's, it's a little bit of a different quality of life risk. So, uh, you know, certainly there are quality of life considerations. I don't want to minimize that, you know, for women, but, right. but uh, I don't want to minimize that at all. But, um, but it, it, it is a little bit different for, those, for this type of surgery. And, and finally, because we're talking about screening and testing, there are men and women, but men in this case, who actually fear the idea of, of any kind of test, thinking that it either may be complex or it might hurt or there might be some side effect to it. Can you address that fear of any man out there who's concerned about even going in for the test? Well, sir, first of all, the test, the screening test is just a blood test. So that doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, there's always the fear of having a you know, a digital rectal exam or, you know, a, a, a prostate exam. I think most people, you know, get, get past that. And you know, it's just part of, uh, part of uh, getting to that age, you know, as, as, uh, as my, my own primary care doctor said to me, you know, now eight years ago when I turned 40, welcome to the club. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's that part of it, yeah. but, you know, then the, um, so, you know, if we think about what are the fears you have to get over, the, the biopsy, um, you know, that really, in my experience, anyone who tolerates a, an exam, prostate exam, does just fine with a biopsy. And I think that we, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of coaching people through it. Um, and so really, I think most people do very well with that. Um, and it's, you know, once you sort of have a good discussion about it and, you know, chat with people and tell them what it's all about. And I think most people really uh, do do very, very well with it. Well, we look forward to your presentation and we really appreciate your time here and also the work you're doing in your office, in your clinic, and for many, many men and women. Thank you so much, doctor. Pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. It's really a pleasure. I, I really very much look forward to speaking to the group and certainly taking questions from, from the audience. That I think will be the best part. My thanks once again to Dr. Adam Feldman, urologist at the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Urology, one of the many important healthcare leaders in prostate cancer detection, research, and treatment, who will be speaking at the upcoming virtual symposium on May 14th. For more information, visit masspcc.org. 
To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also download and listen on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This podcast was brought to you in part through a grant from Pfizer. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.